Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Lori Gilbertson. Lori is a former New York City sex crimes, organized crime, and homicide prosecutor a television legal analyst, an educator, and an entrepreneur. As the owner of Tribeca Blue Consulting, she now helps professionals to communicate with clarity, confidence, and creativity in their public speaking, presentations, trial work, and media appearances. And I'm really excited to have you here on the show today. Welcome, Lori. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, Lori, you come to the table with a very interesting biography, and so (laughs) I am going to start our time together today by asking you what motivated you initially to be involved in sex crimes, organized crime, homicide prosecution, (laughs) and how did you make this decision to shift into consulting? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, you know, my very first day of law school, I was in my criminal law class and the professor was talking about these really amazing stories. I wouldn't even call them cases. At that point, they just sounded like fantastic stories. And as he talked and talked, I thought, this is it for me. This is what I want to do. And I knew I wanted to go into trial law. I knew that when I went to law school, I had grown up in a family with a lot of lawyers and with a father who's a lawyer. So I was very used to having lots of advocacy practice at the dinner table. And I knew I wanted to do trial law. I didn't know exactly what kind. And that very first day of criminal law class in law school sealed it for me. I wanted to go into criminal law. So I went on. My law school, I went to American University in DC. My law school had a fantastic clinical program. And what that means is that as a student, you get to go be an attorney in court. You get certified and you have these special privileges. You get to be an attorney. So I spent half the year, my third year of law school in court as a prosecutor. And I spent half the year in court as a defense attorney. And when I graduated, I applied to various jobs and I soon decided, you know, I wanted to be a prosecutor. I wanted to wear the white hat as I saw it. I wanted to do justice. I wanted to use that immense power that prosecutors have to do some good in people's lives. Mm. And that is what drew me. And I was very, very focused and single-minded in getting there. Beautiful. Well, I I think what's interesting here, Lori, is that it was the stories that got you. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to backtrack a little bit and ask you, even as a child, like what role did story play in your life? Well, if you would ask my parents, 
they would tell you that I was a an actress from the very beginning. And I probably was. I was extremely dramatic. I was always telling stories and I was always acting them out. So I would do puppet shows. I would stage, you know, The Wizard of Oz in our basement. I did a fashion show, recruited all of the neighborhood kids. And I believe to my utter embarrassment, it is probably on some sort of videotape that you cannot even play anymore in my parents' basement somewhere. So, you know, those kind of stories were very, very vivid to me and a very big part of my life. I also started reading when I was really little, probably about two years old. And books, I am a total and utter bibliophile. So books have been, you know, such a huge part of my life from the very, very beginning. And so I think I just had that influx of stories, you know, very subconsciously my entire life. Mm. And, And so it's always, it's always played a role to me. And I have to say that not until kind of my current incarnation with the business I have now, have I really thought about those kind of early days and, and how it really started and how stories and storytelling, both telling them myself, telling other people's, telling the victims of stories of the victims of crimes, and also helping people get their stories across has been this theme that's mm. really gone through my whole life. And it's really not until you have some perspective, I think, that that's really come to light for me. Yeah, well, and and what's really interesting, Lori, is as a prosecutor, I would imagine that part of your role was to discover what the story was, right, in the case itself, right? Discover what the, you know, the baseline story was, but also to convey the story in the court, shaping the narrative, shall we say, in the court such that you would be enrolling the jury or the judge into your point of view. So there's a lot of power there. And I, I'd love to, yeah. you know, if you have if you have any story of your own about mm-hmm. maybe a moment when you were in court where you actually acknowledged for yourself how powerful shaping the words was. You know, it's as trial attorneys, as a prosecutor, you know, you you do not get to choose the facts of your case. And when I was prosecuting, we were on what was called, I am so going to date myself right now, beeper duty. Okay. So I had my little black beeper and for 24 hours, 48 hours, if, you know, there was a sex crime, if it was a homicide, it depended on on what you were, what they called riding for. If you were the riding assistant district attorney, you went to the precinct. And so you would then be kind of thrust into these cases that, hadn't quite evolved into a story yet. You know, there was one version that you would get from maybe the the police officer at the scene. And then there's another version you get when you maybe speak to the victim of the crime. And then if the defendant wants to make a statement, then I would take a statement from him or her. And then there's the version that comes there. And so it's really taking kind of this global view. You take all these facts together and shaping it from there. And when I say shaping it, I don't mean in any way changing it or in any way changing the facts of anything, but really figuring out what is important, what is compelling, and what is a judge or jury going to identify the most with in order for me to prove my case. 
And, you know, before you even get there, the question is, can I prove my case? Mm. You know, can I prove this beyond a reasonable doubt? Do I have the facts there? Once you get beyond that to the point where you can, then you're really shaping that narrative. It is storytelling in the courtroom. And I think what struck me is, you know, when you first start doing it as a prosecutor, none of that is going through your head. You know, certainly none of that was going through my head that, oh, I'm a storyteller. I'm shaping facts. I'm being persuasive. No, what's going through my head is, can I, can I get my hands to stop shaking enough and my voice to stop shaking enough that I will be able to speak in front right. of this jury? You know, that's what's going through your head. And, you know, you've asked, when did I kind of realize this? You know, I think I, I really started to realize this as I got beyond the first 10, 20 trials when you get to the point where it can be really more of a craft and less of just, let me figure out the mechanics of, of what I do here in court. And the way it really comes out is when you start to think about your case as that narrative and as putting it all together, as opposed to just kind of getting whatever facts you're given. And that's really struck me in some cases when I would be writing my openings or I'd be writing my summations. And that is when some of that story just hits so powerfully. Mm. I tried one particular case that was the last case I tried before I left the district attorney's office. And it was a terrible shooting case, you know, on a college campus, leaving a very promising football star paralyzed the rest of his life permanently. And as I wrote that summation, the power of being able to convey that to the jury and the power of how I think my opening and my summation, the power of, of the words that I could choose to do justice to the victim who had become my friend, who was depending on me to do justice for him in front of the jury just became, you know, very overwhelmingly emotional. For me, mm. I was not good at compartmentalizing that. So, you know, those stories, when you get to that point, are, are incredibly emotional, incredibly harrowing, and incredibly powerful. And, you know, it was my job to bring that, that sense of importance along with the facts in a way that was appropriate under the law to the jury and the judge. And that's a balancing act. Mm. It truly is. It's a very different kind of storytelling. Yeah. Well, it's totally a craft. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I love I love that you use the word craft versus mechanics. Mm -hmm. um, all mm -hmm. right. So before we go to the break, what I'd love to have you do is just give us a brief overview of what happened to cause you to say, I'm complete with, with this and I'm going to leave prosecution and I'm going to move in a new direction? Like what happened for you that made that choice what obvious? What happened for me was something I never expected. I thought I was going to be a lifelong prosecutor. Mm -hmm. What happened for me is something that's happening to a lot of people these days, and that's burnout. Mm -hmm. 10 years in New York City courtrooms every single day, seeing the worst of what people do to each other and especially you asked about in when we first started speaking about sex crimes many of that were you know sex crimes crimes against children crimes against the elderly so also the worst of what people who are supposed to love protect and care for each other can do to each other and it just became at 
that point after 10 years, just absolutely exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was sitting, I was trying a very serious gunpoint robbery case and I was sitting picking a jury and my heart wasn't in it anymore. Not that I wasn't doing my job and, and seeking justice and doing everything that I needed to be doing, but that special motivation that I had for so long just wasn't there anymore. And I thought, you know, this is too important to not be doing 150% for me. Mm. Other people maybe could do it that way and it would be fine, but not for me. So mm. that's what happened. So it, it was just time. Yeah, I had really done, I think, everything I wanted to do. I had learned so much. I had had amazing teachers and mentors. I had had fantastic experience. I, I hoped I had done some good, you know, for mm. the people who I, I spoke for in court. And it was just time. And it was time to kind of move on. It was time to move on to a different different part of my life. Mm. So that's what led me to it. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, I love the the level of self-awareness that you demonstrated there. And so for our listeners around the world, there comes sometimes there comes a time where you you are complete. And it's a good indication that you're complete if you know that you can't be there wholeheartedly anymore. So, yeah. All right. Well, we are going to go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what you're doing now and how you're using story and supporting others to use story in a little bit different ways and maybe less heavy than when you were a prosecutor. But Right now, we are going to go to the break. So Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share the show with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so that we can serve them too. I do want to say a huge thank you. We're coming through our third year. We're into our fourth year now of podcasting and with this show. And I really want to thank all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing around the world. We are now downloading in 103 countries, and we're welcoming thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads. And so I want to shout out this week to our listeners. Let me get my list here. In Qatar, that's one of our newest countries, Puerto Rico, which isn't a country, but somehow the our statistics thing shows it as a country. So we'll say Puerto Rico is a country for, for these purposes and Latvia. And we will be right back with Lori Gilbertson. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com.
And we are back with Lori Gilbertson. You can find out more about how Lori serves people now with her business at TribecaBlueConsulting.com. We will have that for you in the show notes. And so before we went to the break, we talked about that moment where you made the decision to leave being a prosecutor. What inspired you to start a consulting business? And certainly what inspired you to start a consulting business that helps people shape their stories and serve, you know, as interview guests on a variety of media? Yeah, well, there were a few steps in between that day in the courtroom when I realized it was time and where I am now. So I I did end up trying the case I told you about with the shooting. And I it was a retrial and the victim in the case asked me, you need to do this, Lori. I really need you. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be anyone else. And although there were so many capable people who could could take it over. I, I, of course, as you could hear from, from my emotion on this, felt very, very compelled to do it. So I did end up in the office about an extra year to try that case, which ended with a conviction and which was the absolute right verdict in that case. And, and the victim was able to have a bit of closure that mm-hmm. he could in, in that and, and able to, to leave at the end of that. And so didn't quite know what to do next. Probably like many of your listeners, you know, you, you finish maybe your dream job and this was my dream job. What do you do? Mm. So I did probably what, what some of your listeners do is is I start talking to people, you know, what, what might I want to do next? What might be interesting for me? And I also took a little bit of a a kind of mental break. Mm. I went on it and tried white collar prosecution. I worked for the stock exchange and realized that was not for me. And I eventually landed at uh, a legal education organization, a national one that, that puts out great, great programming. And I worked with lawyers, so I didn't have to actually be the one in court, but I, I helped create a whole slate of litigation programs. That was a really nice transition mm-hmm. into doing something else. I just, I didn't want to be in court anymore, but I wasn't quite sure. Mm-hmm. what what to do next so it was it was challenging it was interesting and i met you know the lawyers that you you they'd be on the front page of the times the new york times because they'd be trying these interesting cases or i'd hear about them or read about them and then get to work with them so it was pretty exciting it opened up a new world for me and i knew though that that wasn't going to be it forever so what brought me to where I am now is just kind of a change in circumstance that allowed a real shift in my thinking. And that was moving across the country. Ah. So <laughs> due to a change, my husband had a job opportunity and I we were living in New York at the time. I had three young children, elementary school age, and the job opportunity was in Denver, Colorado, nowhere I had ever thought of living. And we kind of looked at each other and said, huh, that could be really interesting. And we just decided to go on an adventure. Beautiful. And so, yeah, we picked up the family, sold our, our house in New York, and moved to Colorado in the middle of a school year and just did it. And yeah. so that, you know, I, I don't know if any of your listeners or if you have had this experience, but changing what is around you, Mm. changing what you see every day, changing where you're living, just changing kind of the whole vibe allows for just a shift in thinking 
that I think never would have happened had I stayed in New York and maybe worked at some other jobs. And, you know, Denver is a real ecosystem for entrepreneurs. Mm. And I interviewed for a bunch of jobs. I talked to a lot of people out here. I thought, what, you know, maybe I'll go to a law firm or maybe I'll go in-house or maybe I'll go back and be a prosecutor again. And nothing felt right. Mm. Kind of like you were saying, nothing felt like I was all in. And I thought, well, I can't find it. So I'm going to make it for myself. Mm, I love it. I can't find it. So I am going to make it. I'm going to make it. All right. So that's what I did. What I'd like to do now, because I want, I'm sensitive to the time, I really want to make sure that we're communicating exactly specifically and precisely what you are doing now and how you are helping people now and how you are now leveraging this deep capacity to frame a narrative, you know, that comes from the deepest, darkest trenches of New York City courtrooms mm-hmm. and how you have leveraged that skill set to be able to support the people. As I understand it, you're working with startup mm-hmm. CEOs and people in the C-suite to help them be able to shape their own stories. So let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how you're helping clients now. And maybe if you'd like, you can share a client success story. Sure. So all of those secrets that I learned in the courtroom, the ways to craft those stories, the ways not just to craft them, but to deliver them with impact. Those are kind of the techniques that I bring to the people I work with. And then I also worked for quite a bit of time. This was another thing I did after leaving the DA's office as a television legal analyst, taking once again, all those things that I had learned and applying them to cases in the news, legal things going on that really there was an educational component and learning how to also be on video, do interviews and really be able to hold people's attention in those sound bites that you get on television. So I take all of that and I work with my clients both through training. I could do kind of intimate groups as small as maybe five to eight people where it's really, really interactive and we have the chance to try out all sorts of fun techniques up to groups that are, you know, a hundred or larger, where we also go through lots of communication techniques. And I share, you know, my top 10 tips that I learned in the courtroom and on television. So these are the practical things I bring. Communication, it's not theoretical. Mm. You know, I've had people ask me, oh, just give me a book. This is not something you can learn from books. It can help you. You Mm. can get knowledge, you can figure out things, but you got to do it. So with my training and then with my one-on-one coaching, that's what we do. We do it. You know, when you're learning how to say, do an introduction, you learn five different ways that you can use various techniques to get that great hook in the beginning. And then at the trainings, we get up and do it. And Mm. people get up and they try it and it helps get over that stage fright. And it's actually really fun. People are amazed at how you can take, you know, one or two kind of cool tips and just totally transform what you do so that Mm -hmm. people feel really, really confident and thinking creativity is a huge part of it. And we all have this creativity inside us that we don't always use. Mm -hmm. And especially lawyers. I love pulling it out of lawyers. But that is a whole other conversation for maybe another <laughs> podcast. Well, what I what I hear in what I hear in this, Lori, is 
part of what I'm hearing you're helping your people with is to not only understand the mechanics of conveying what they're trying to convey, right? And so in your case, if you're working with startup CEOs, a startup CEO is attempting to convey the value of the idea or the value of the product that they're bringing to market or right. what whatever it is that they are creating. So it's not just about how to convey the data like mechanically, right? But what I'm hearing you're helping your people with is you're helping them to have the experiential practice, to have that platform practice, to be able to move it from being mechanistic to being more finely crafted. Is Am I hearing that? You are. You are. And the other really important thing that I do with all of my clients, be it in groups or be it one-on-one, is teaching them how to take all of the things about them and put that into their speaking. Because only when you are truly being yourself is your speaking going to be powerful and impactful and giving people the confidence to do that. Mm. Because you know you, you may think you're, you're, you want to get up there and speak like, I don't know, Steve Jobs did, or you want to get up there and speak, you know, like, another, you know, famous a speaker and you want to emulate their style, you can pull from lots of different people, learn lots of different great things to kind of incorporate, but ultimately you've got to be yourself. Mm. And so people, you know, a lot of my training and coaching is just getting people to get out of the mindset that they have to fit into a mold. Cause mm. that's one of the scariest things about speaking that you have to be this epic, amazing storyteller. <laughs> You know, ultimately you can be, but mm. you got to start really with being yourself. Mm. And so that's a lot of what we work on. You had asked about a case study. So I'll give you a real quick one. Mm. I was, I'm going to go back to the lawyers. I think got a call from a lawyer who said, I had this amazing opportunity and I now get to speak to a hundred of our firm's biggest clients and I get to do it in two weeks. Help, help me. <laughs> <laughs> this attorney had net, he was a transactional attorney. He worked in real estate. He had never actually given a presentation of any kind ever mm -hmm. in his whole career was partner in a law firm, but he grabbed the opportunity mm -hmm. and he said, I just need your help. I need, I need to do this. And we worked on it and he developed it and he practiced it. And I watched him and I gave feedback, which he graciously took. And that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. And he kept doing it and doing it and doing it until the day of he had infused all these great experiences, all these great stories from his life and his work spoke at the event mm. and just really, really nailed it to the point where he was asked to do lots of other speaking events and it helped his practice. It helped his confidence. It helped his career. And, you know, now he's not afraid to do that. And he's had even more success. So, Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, excellent, Lori. Let's give five claps to you <laughs> and that client. And we are at the end. So listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that number for you in the show notes. And you can also send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. 
Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.